Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. Grabs one out to deep left field. This one's got a chance to get out of here. Gone. Three run Jimmy Jack first. Big league home run for Mike Trout. Five in the second half. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed the second greatest scoring performance in NBA history. Thank you for downloading and or streaming another episode of Infinity Sports. I'm your host, Wayne G, joined as always by Sully. What's up? Yo, what's poppin'? Hey, what about me, guys? And Jesse. <laughs> what's up? What's up, guys? What's up? You're either listening to us at 1 o'clock on Monday on rtfsportsnetwork.com or you are listening at 11 o'clock on Thursdays. Either way, if you don't get to hear the entire show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, or maybe you want to listen to the show again. Either way, you can find us pretty much anywhere that you find your podcasts. Definitely, and when you do find us, make sure you listen, you like, you share, you review, rate us, do all those things, baby. Check off all the dots. You can also find us on Facebook at Infinity Sports Podcast. We're actually just at Infinity Sports. How crazy is that? We finally whittled it down after four weeks or whatever it was to Infinity Sports. So we are Infinity Sports on Facebook, on Instagram at Infinity Sports Podcast. And Jesse, where can they find us on Twitter? You can find us at Sports Infinity 5. Go ahead and find us on Twitter and uh, argue with some of our takes, agree with some of our takes. Give us your opinions, people. It's a pretty big show today. We've got people on Facebook are dumb. We all know that, but we're going to make fun of some of them today. Me and Dan have a little bit of a disagreement about what makes the best hitter of all time. And of course, we have our Infinity Five, and we're going to have Dylan on from on and off the field. So that's a really cool guest. But as always, let's start things with the news. Now, last week we did This Day in History, which was July 4th. So I decided to do kind of This Week in History and find a couple of cool things that happened from the time we last recorded to the time we're recording now. And a couple of things I thought were pretty cool. Dan, you might take an interest in this one. On July 8th, 1980, Ken Griffey Sr. was the MVP of the All-Star Game. Hey, how about that? George Kenneth Griffey I winning the All-Star Game MVP. I I actually didn't know that. Even more interesting is on July 6th, 1989, how about this? Mike Schmidt became the first retired baseball player to be elected to the All-Star Game. What? Yeah, he was retired, and he got elected to the All-Star Game, even though he was retired. Did he play? He didn't play. Uh, He's like, I'm not going to play. I'm retired. But he was like, the fans elected him to the All-Star Game, even though he was retired. That's awesome. It kind of reminds me of when Magic Johnson ended up coming back to play in the All-Star Game after he had taken his leave from the Lakers when he became HIV positive. He was the All-Star Game MVP, so maybe Schmidt should have came back. My mom used to have the biggest celebrity crush on Mike Schmidt. It's the stash. It was the stash. My dad had the exact same stash. I mean, it's crazy. Now, here's another crazy one. July 5th, 1987, Mark McGuire becomes the first rookie to hit 30 home runs before the All-Star break. And that was pre-juice. That's been broken, right? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, as a rookie, I don't know. I know it's been broken as far as players, but I don't know if a rookie's hit more than 30 before the All-Star break. 
because Stanton broke the rookie record, right? I wonder if he broke it that year. I mean, I don't know. We'd have to look into that. That's a crazy stat. And yeah, I, I mean, you, you think this is pre-juice. He admitted it was pre-juice, right? Oh, no. He was juicing for a while. Oh, he was juicing from the start, yeah, because Conseco yeah, said he was yeah. injecting him. Yeah, that's right. And then the last one I have, July 5th, 1998, Roger Clemens gets his 3,000th strikeout. He would finish his career with 4,672, basically 1,000 behind Nolan Ryan. And you guys' top five pitchers all time? Oof. Uh, I think he's probably outside the top five. I think he would be too. I'm just really, really, really impartial to like other righties. Like I like Bob Gibson, Greg Maddox, Pedro over him. And then there's Randy Johnson and God, I don't know. Sandy Colfax. I'm not a big Sandy Colfax fan, but, but yes, I mean, I probably have him, you know, so yeah, I don't think Roger gets into my top five. Will he ever get into the hall of fame? Yes. He should. All, All those guys will. Yeah, eventually time will melt that away. You know, you can already tell now it's people are caring less and less about it. So I think in time they will get in. The first bit of big real news here, the NFL. Patrick Mahomes signs a 10-year, $450 million extension, turning his current contract into a 12-year, $503 million extension with $477 million in quote-unquote guaranteed mechanisms. Kermit the Frog now getting paid half a billy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it sounds much bigger than it is. You say that word, guaranteed mechanism, and essentially it's in a super team-friendly deal where if they decide they don't want him at that year, they can pretty much cut him loose with no penalty. I mean, all of his money is roster bonuses. The moment they decide he's going to be their quarterback and he's on their roster, that's when he's really getting paid his base salary. 2021, his base salary is 990000 but his roster bonus is $21.7 million. 2022, his base salary is $1.5 million, but his roster bonus is $27.4 million. So it's like he's not really making a ton of money on base salary, but then they're giving him just tons of money on roster bonuses. So it's a super team-friendly deal. In, in four or five years, if, if they decide they don't want him, they can just really cut loose and nothing happens. In a league where quarterback is the hardest position to secure, we've seen that with teams like the Browns and teams like the Jets and the Dolphins since they've had, you know, so much sorrow with their franchises. But to lock up a guy for the next decade, 12 years even, is amazing. We've seen this guy win MVP and a Super Bowl already. We've asked, you know, in the group chat off air if he is Hall of Fame worthy already. And I think we still think he's a little bit away, but this guy definitely deserved all the money he got. He does deserve it all, and I understand why they gave it to him, alluding to what Sully was saying. The size of the contract is fun to talk about, but the reality is, is it's not what it looks like. Because, like Sully said, it's basically he signed an extension that's 10 consecutive team options is what he signed for. $103 million signing bonus, so that's 100% guaranteed. He'll get 103 no matter what. But like Sully was saying, they could cut him after year two and they don't have to pay him a dime. Which is why I say, after Lamar Jackson breaks the bank, this contract will be renegotiated in four years, which is only two years into that 10-year extension. See, I don't know if it's going to get to there. So, like, in 2026 is where I think we'll see the extension. Because he's going to make, at that point, he'll be making 60 mil a year, and there's a 50 million bonus and things like that. So I think that's where we'll see the extension. I don't know if we're going to see another one before that. I mean, he knew, I think, what he was getting into here. He signed a 10-year deal to be a part of this. You think, in, in you know, in, in 2025, you know, he's going to be 29 years old. At that point, that's when I think you, you maybe hit your re-extension. I don't know what year you're thinking. If you're thinking 2024, then we're literally arguing nothing. But yet, in 2027, he gets base salary of $10 million and his roster bonus is $49.4 million, which is the biggest one of the Colt 
years broken down. So I don't think it gets to that point. I think you're right. I think the team will not pay a $50 million roster bonus. But uh, I think they'll renegotiate before then and, and give them a, a much bigger contract, honestly. Sully, tapping into your uh, your betting roots here, let me ask you guys, over, under, three Super Bowl wins in the next 10 years for the Kansas City Chiefs? Under. Under. You know, that's so hard to do. If you say over, under, three Super Bowls for his career, I may take the over because I may th- I think he can win four, but like for 10 years, I mean, that's really hard to do. Yeah, and what I think is genius about this contract, what he did basically by signing his contract, by going public with the whole 503 over 12, which was pasted everywhere, he is actually setting the market to get paid when it's time to renegotiate because the next couple quarterbacks that come up are going to point to this contract on what they want to get paid. And the highest paid quarterback is always the next guy, not the best guy. So quarterbacks are going to be signing these contracts one up in each other, now starting at $40 million a year. So by the time it comes around 2024 and he's going to renegotiate this contract, now he can look at getting 40, 50, 55 million a year. So now that roster bonus doesn't seem so crazy because guys are going to be getting 45 and 50 million a year. Next man up is not Lamar Jackson. Next man up is actually the guy that Chicago traded up for, Mitchell Trubisky. He's about to break the bank. The piggy bank. Now, the next bit of news, also just as big, even may not be as big in money, but it kind of is, the Washington football team, quote-unquote, is being pressured to change their name. Now, I know what you're thinking. What else is new, right? Every year we talk about this. Every year they get pressure, and every year they stick it to whoever's putting the pressure on, except this year it's FedEx and Pepsi yanking $600 million from them unless they change their name. Yeah, I don't think Dan Snyder is going to be able to keep his uh, foot down any longer. There's way too much pressure happening around him. While other businesses are hurting, they're going to pull sponsors from him. It's definitely the thing to happen for the Washington R-Words. I mean, Nike pulled their stuff off their website. Their two minority owners want to get out. They don't want any part of this anymore. I mean, you know, I completely understand it from this point of view. I don't want to get too deep into the rabbit hole here, but the other team names that are being attacked now at this point, I think is ridiculous. I don't see any reason to change the Cleveland Indians. I don't see why that's an issue. Personally, I don't. I guess if other people are offended, by all means, change it. But like the Minnesota Vikings, I saw a rumor to that one I don't understand. You know, how deep does the rabbit hole go for these names? You know, when does something become non-offensive? I saw a fighting, a fighting Irish one too, but I haven't really seen anything deeper into that. So that one doesn't seem to be very true but still I mean I just I understand the R words need to change their name and it needs to be done immediately I mean I don't really understand the reason he doesn't want to change it so I I don't know it just needs to get done and Daniel Snyder needs to stop living in the past some of the names that I've seen tossed around are Red Tails I've also seen the Defenders I really am a big fan of the Red Tails, though. I've seen some logo designs. I think some people are getting involved. I'm not sure what they'll actually settle on, but I'm happy that this change is finally coming on. Well, the Red Tails was easy because they wouldn't have to change their color scheme. They could keep the same color scheme, but just make it an airplane as the logo, which I thought was kind of cool as well. They also talked about possibly being the hogs or the pigskins, something like that. So again, keeping the color scheme and, and paying homage to their offensive line nickname. I actually went a little bit off the wall. I was suggesting to several people on Facebook, I would like to see them called the Washington Avengers with an Avengers themed uniform because I know Disney's trying to get more pro sports team. And while this wouldn't be buying the team, they could get their name into the NFL fell by being the Washington Avengers. I haven't thought about that. You know what, Wayne? I'm jumping on your bandwagon. I support that a thousand percent. That would be so dope. 
forced Daniel Snyder out and Disney takes over kind of as the team with maybe another minority owner or another majority owner for somebody who the head and then Disney's a minority and then have the Avengers and then imagine how dope a Disney themed stadium would be in Washington DC that would be so sick oh yeah it'd be like a miniature Disneyland around the stadium exactly like that would be so incredible that's such a good idea holy shit Wayne that's such a good idea And the last bit of news we have, and Dan can probably speak more to this than the rest of us, but Deshaun Jackson comes out. He puts a quote on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. He's quoting Hitler saying the white Jews are going to blackmail America or something like that. He goes on Instagram and he's praising Louis Farrakhan, who is been tagged as the leader of a hate group and anti-Semite, homophobic, anti-white. And he had to go out and apologize. The team made him apologize. They didn't cut him. They just said, hey, just say you're sorry. And he's like, I have to get with the Jewish community and and learn more about their culture and all that BS, the usual crappy apology. And I want to get your take, Dan, as a Jewish American, what you thought about Deshaun Jackson's comments or posts? I mean, to be fair, he seemed rather ignorant about it and really doesn't kind of understand, I think, what he posted. But at the same time, I don't, I mean, should that matter? Like, I don't know, at a time like this, I mean, the guy has 1.4 million followers and he's spreading so much hate. And it's just like, that can't be allowed. You can't let this happen. And I don't understand why this isn't getting the same backlash or the same attention it should, because I I don't want it to defer from, you know, everything that's happened. And it shouldn't defer because this is an entirely separate thing. But then for Steven Jackson, who's essentially kind of the face of this movement, to come on and say that the NFL is racist for making him apologize and he supports and stands by everything that Deshaun Jackson said. I don't know. I can't get behind this. I can't support this. I don't understand how Deshaun Jackson isn't cut. If he isn't cut, I won't watch an Eagles game. I mean, I know that doesn't mean much, but, you know, just personally for me, I won't. So I don't know. I think it's disgusting. Yes, I know that Steven Jackson actually has a podcast, and I don't know if he's just trying to be the loudest voice that he can be, but he certainly shouldn't be trying to be pushing the agenda that he is on social media and actually going against the grain the way that he is. Both Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson need to take a long look at themselves and a longer pause before they hit submit on Twitter. I mean, I agree. I think everyone does, you know, and it's just, I don't know, if something was said about African Americans in the same light or something negative, like it was posted in the same light, like this was, it wouldn't just be an apology and everything's fine. And I don't know, I just think that's kind of bothersome to me. And and I understand, like I do, like I understand what's happening right now. And again, I don't think this should take away from anything that's happening. But at the same time, people need to be held accountable. And I think that's what this movement is about more than anything, is you need to stop just saying, oh, it's okay he didn't mean that it's no it's that's who this person is like you know you need to be held accountable for what you say and what you do and what you and who you are and i don't know now something that isn't news is that facebook people are stupid they go on there they put their crap and you don't really need a minimum iq to be on facebook and it's obvious every time you sign on even on your friends list let's be honest people eight out of ten of your friends are morons and they show it every day on facebook so we decided to go through facebook and say what are some stupid things that we've seen and i think we've all seen a lot right absolutely there's some real shitty takes out there keyboard warriors Now we're going to ease into this one. So this one's not really a hot take so much, but it's something that struck me. I'm part of a group called Sports Unfiltered that I was introduced to by our CEO, Michael Buckheiser, who we'll get to later. This group is basically a LeBron lovers group. That's what they should call themselves because everybody in there is a LeBron fan. And somebody had posted something to the effect of LeBron James career numbers are 27, seven and seven. 
They said that's only been done in a season, twice by Russ, once by Jordan, once by Bird. Nobody's ever done it for a season besides those three guys. And he's averaging it for his career. Now, on the surface, that's pretty good. I mean, those are good numbers, man. But I also commented on it. I said, well, Wilt Chamberlain's career averages are 30, 23, and 4. And nobody's ever done that for a season. Yes, super shocked you brought in Wilt. Well, his numbers are unarguable. No, I mean, you can't really, I guess, argue with what they're saying with 27-7-7. and But I mean, like, yeah, crazy numbers are crazy numbers. I don't get what their argument is. Like, what are they trying to say? They're trying to say he's the GOAT. Oh, because he averages 27-7-7? and Yeah. That's a weird argument. Like you said, I mean, you could, yeah, I mean, you could point to crazy career numbers all over the place. I mean, yeah, 27, 7, and 7 is awesome numbers. I mean, that's nuts, but I mean, I don't think that separates anybody and makes them a goat. I mean, the guy also choked and lost to an average Mavericks team for a title. And- the next thing I came across on Facebook, and again, this is just stupidity, is somebody in Pat's nation, you're embarrassing the nation. Get out of the nation. Go to another country. Because he says, I was doing some research online, and I saw that Jarrett Stidham and Cam Newton both went to Auburn. Like, you had to look that up online, idiot? Get out of this group. To be fair, you know, if I'm going to use a Sully line, New England doesn't really have a strong college football contingent, so we focus mainly on the Patriots. Those of us who are surface-level football fans up here, we focus mainly on the Patriots, and they don't think about college football, so it's news to them when somebody gets added to their team, they have to find out everything about them. They, I'm surprised they knew which position Cam Newton played. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, plus also Cam Newton went to a bunch of schools, so that never, so did Jared Stidham. There's a great chance they played on the same team. <laughs> so, uh. Now, they came out with a boxing list, the Pugilist, which I think is a UK boxing publication, came out with a list of their top 50 boxers of all time. Two that stood out to me were at number 39, Floyd Mayweather Jr., and at number 49, Mike Tyson. Terrence Carty, who's our boxing expert in the FBAS community, he said that Floyd Mayweather was way too low because he really should be top five, in my opinion. But he said Mike Tyson was lucky to be at number 49. That blew my mind. Are you ready to take his uh, boxing expert license? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm in the camp. I think Floyd Mayweather's arguably the best boxer of all time. So to be at 39 is insane. And then, I mean, Mike Tyson at 49 and lucky to be on the list. I mean, I know TC, I mean, he's the boxing aficionado. I rarely speak against him on this because, honestly, he just knows more. But, I mean, fuck, what, what is Mike Tyson? The guy's just a freak. I mean, I understand, like, he's a lot of flash. But, I mean, at his prime, was there really anybody he couldn't beat at his, at his dead prime? Like, was there really anybody we think he wouldn't beat? And I don't know. I think he's insanely rated too low. There certainly weren't 48 other boxers that could have beat him. So, Mike Tyson definitely deserved to be much higher on that list. I'm not the biggest fan of Floyd Mayweather, but I certainly agree. He deserves to be much higher as well. So these were some bad takes on this list. But during COVID, during a lack of sports, we get plenty of bad takes. That's why we have this segment, folks. Well, the next one is going to be the comment that Dirk Nowitzki is the greatest power forward of all time. And in this photo that had this quote, behind him were Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. And I think the person who posted it even said, yeah, Garnett and Duncan you know, can't hold a candle to Dirk Nowitzki. And I was like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know that Dirk has two rings and Garnett has one, but Tim Duncan has five. So get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this fan obviously lives under a rock. You can't have a take like this. Dirk is absolutely one of the greatest players in league history, probably the greatest European in league history, but there is no way he is the best power forward. You know, Tim Duncan has the greatest resume of that position that has ever been seen. So bad take, 
bad, bad take. Yeah, I agree. You know, I know Wayne will disagree with this, but I think there's two undisputed positions on an NBA starting five. I think that's shooting guard Michael Jordan and power forward Tim Duncan. I don't really think there's an argument for anybody else at the other positions. I, I agree it should be Wilt, but I think a ton of people have other arguments for center. You know, small forward, you're going to argue Larry or LeBron. And then, you know, point guard's most of the time magic, but you you are going to get some arguments there. But I think power forward is just, it's such a clean sweep. It's Tim Duncan. He's the best ever. The guy's Mr. Fundamental. He was so good at everything, so great at everything. I, I, I don't know how you can argue Dirk was better. Well, we made a promise, and we're going to pay off on that promise. We told our fans that if they sent us screenshots of the dumbest sports takes that they had seen, that the winner of the dumbest would get a shout-out here on the show. So I'm giving a shout-out to our fan winner, Chris Jose LeBron from Facebook, who sent me a tweet from Samuel H. Quinn, in other words, at Sam Quinn CBS. So this guy has a professional job. This is how sad this is. He tweeted out, Kyle Lowry is better than Russell Westbrook. I'm going to drop the mic and walk away. This is obviously somebody that has rings as much higher in the resume category than I certainly would. Because the only thing to me that Kyle Lowry has that Russell Westbrook does not is a big ass. This guy's got a huge caboose, but he is not a better player than Russell Westbrook. Mr. Triple-Double of this generation? There's no way. That is the shittiest of shitty takes this week. Slam dunk. Yeah, uh, I mean, Kyle Lowry's a great player. I don't want to take anything away from him in this argument, but the guy is not on Russell Westbrook's level. Let's be real here. It's not even close. This isn't a discussion. One's a lock, sure, Hall of Famer. The other one's an all-star. You know what I mean? And, and, and he's a good player, but they're just not in the same conversation. And this take is just bonkers, bananas, bad. I actually had to do some research just before I decided to smash the guy. So let me do some research. I'm going to look at their career numbers, which Russell Westbrook makes Lowry look like a eighth or ninth man off the bench. But looking at just 2020, I said, well, maybe Lowry's having a good year. Maybe that's why he said it, right? I looked at 2020, Westbrook still shreds him in every category. The only thing that Lowry does better is he shoots threes better. And that's it. Because, you know, Russell Westbrook chucks him up like fucking bricks. But, I mean, that's not Russell Westbrook's game. He's, he's so much better at everything else on court. And, of course, we wouldn't be able to do a hot take, stupid take, whatever you want to call it, section without mentioning Michael Buckheister from the Mike and Mike Man Hour. Of course, every day these guys have ridiculous takes. I don't even want to get on their math. If you follow us, you know all about their math. But he posted a meme about Ichiro that Ichiro, I think, in his seventh or eighth at bat, something like that, or seventh or eighth game, went above 300 for the first time, and his career average never dipped below 300 for the rest of his career. And that's great. That's a really cool stat to have. But Michael commented, Ichiro, best hitter of all time, hands down. And me and Dan both completely disagree with the take. We also disagree with each other, if you can believe that. Well, I think people can believe that. But yeah, I completely disagree with the take. I mean, that's just nuts. Ichiro's a great hitter, but the best of all time, no, I don't even think he's top five of all time. So, I should, he may, even, may not even be top ten of all time hitters. But I mean, he's a great hitter, don't get me wrong, but that's, a, that's an insanely bad take. But, what else would we expect from the good old Buck? Yeah, that's a very bad take. Uh, I think in our group chat, we had listed off a good 10 to 12 guys that we feel are better all-time hitters than Ichiro. So definitely a bad take. Um, you know, and I think that leads into the big heated debate, Sully versus Wayne G again on the Infinity Sports Podcast. 
Well, my comment was that Ichiro's not even the best hitter in Mariners history, let alone Major League history, because I said Edgar Martinez is a better hitter than Ichiro. And that sparked a long, long string of texts between me and Dan. Now, I don't know if Dan's come around and we're going to just talk about something different or if he really is sticking with the whole Ichiro's better than Edgar Martinez, because I got the numbers to back it up. Oh, yeah, no, Ichiro is definitely a better hitter than Edgar Martinez. Okay, so now do you have numbers to back up your statement? Because we're actually agree we agreed before this hand to say, all right, Ichiro and Edgar Martinez have identical batting averages because they're point zero zero one apart. So we'll say that they're identical. Let's go over the rest of the numbers. What do you got? I have a thousand more hits. What do you got? Well, you're going with career numbers. Oh, so you mean like career numbers when you were talking about with Will Chamberlain when you brought up that as your argument. I brought up Will Chamberlain's career averages, career averages, not career totals. Career uh, totals could be boosted by longevity. But they're not. They played the same amount of seasons. So what's your argument? Different number of at-bats. Well, that's not my fault. Your player's fucking injured and can't stay on the field. But that's why I go by percentages. But it shouldn't matter. My guy's available and leading the league every year in hits. That counts for something. That makes him a great hitter. Seven out of his first nine years, he led the league in hits. That counts for something. I don't care if you think their career totals or not. Edgar Martinez never led the league in hits. They both have two batting titles. True. So they're comparable in batting titles. They're comparable in batting average. So I know we're going to get into what makes the best hitter of all time, which is part of it's going to be batting average, but not the whole thing, because we're going to get into power numbers. And when you look at power numbers, Edgar Martinez fucking dwarfs Ichiro, and he's got the same batting average. Well, Edgar is definitely a better power hitter. That can't even be disputed. And I think that Ichiro is a better contact hitter. I'm in the camp that they're both amazing hitters. If you're asking me which one is better all-time hitter, I'm going with Ichiro. I, I want a guy who will hit more times often than not. And I think that, that that is Ichiro. He came into the league at 28, and he blew up the league. You know, At that point, he was three years in the league when he broke an 84-year-old record for hits. It was actually, uh, he had 262 hits. He's the only player to have 10 consecutive years of 200 hits or more. So this guy is not just a contact guy. He's a, a timely guy as well. You know, watching Mariners games, you know, you had to stay up real, real late. But this guy always had those clutch hits. So he's an amazing player. Both amazing players. The DH award is named after Edgar Martinez for a reason. But all-time best hitter for Seattle, that's Ichiro Suzuki. See, and that's my other argument also. Like, I conceded that Edgar Martinez is the better power hitter, but, you know, he's also a DH. You know, that's his, it was specifically his job to hit. Ichiro has more MVP win shares. He actually has an MVP. He has the actual higher season batting average, like total ever. You know, he hit 372 in that 2004 year where he had 262 hits. Yes, he doesn't slug for the same percentages, but that wasn't his game. You know, he also had 96 triples when Edgar Martinez had 15. You know what I mean? Edgar Martinez's game wasn't speed. I just think we have two different views on what makes a better hitter. I think in this instance, you're valuing the power more than the hits and runs, I think. And I think that's where we, we just differ. Well, because I'm valuing the percentage. Like Jesse said, he wants a guy who is more likely to get a hit. Well, Ichiro is likely to get a hit 31.1% of the time. So is Edgar Martinez. So he's not more likely than Edgar Martinez to get a hit. No, he just gets more of them. And Edgar walks more. And Edgar walks more. Agreed. Edgar walks much more. I, I agree than that. But, I mean, you know, walking isn't necessarily hitting. And, and I understand it, it It encompasses hitting and all of that. Again, it's just two, I think it's just two fundamentally different views on how what we see in a hitter. 
Okay. Well, that is where we get into our debate of what makes the best hitter of all time. So I know that you were giving me crap about the whole career numbers. And I said, I go by career averages, but let's just get into it. What do you, when you look at what's the best hitter of all time? And I think you and I actually probably have a similar list of who the best hitters of all time are. We may disagree on these two people, but I think our list is probably comparable. What is your criteria for the best hitter of all time? I hate to say this, but it's a lot of like the eye test and and what I've seen combined with a lot of things like, you know, Barry Bonds is my greatest hitter of all time. I I just think his hand speed, his hand-eye coordination was just second to none. The guy got through the zone faster than anybody I've ever seen in, in this play. Like it's insane how quick he can get his hands through the zone. And he was also so dangerous. I mean, it was just eye opening to see. I mean, obviously Babe Ruth's in there. You know, I think Ted Williams is up there. I don't think he's he's the best ever. You know, I think he's up there. You know, I think Stan Musial, Lou Gehrig, a lot of these guys that were able to do a lot of things, not just one thing. That's why, like, yes, I think Ichiro's a great hitter. I wouldn't have him in my top 10 hitters of all time just because he doesn't add power. You know what I mean? You have to do everything. Well, and that's my thing, too, is I look at career averages. Like I said, we can look at career totals, but I think that so much comes into that, like how long you played for, how many at-bats you got. The reason Ichiro had more at-bats... is a little bit due to injury, but it has more to do with the fact that Ichiro was a contact hitter. He was a slap hitter. So he swung at everything. If it was in the strike zone, he was swinging. He was making contact. And so his batting average is the same as Edgar Martinez, even though Edgar Martinez has on-base percentage. It's almost 100 points higher, right? Because of the fact that Edgar actually took a few walks. Ichiro almost never walked because he was swinging at everything. So it's a little bit different style of hitting. And so I look at on-base percentage. I look at slugging. I look at OPS. I look at all of those numbers combined. So you have Barry Bonds as the best. I understand what you're saying about bat speed. He has the best bat speed I've ever seen in my life. But I have Babe Ruth as the greatest hitter of all time because in every single hitting category on the average, not career totals, but on the average, everything, Barry Bonds doesn't have one single tiny thing above Babe Ruth. He's ahead of him in every category, including home runs per year. Let me tell you about the tiny thing that you didn't see was the fact that Babe Ruth never played against players like Barry Bonds. Exactly. Never played against players of Hispanic background. Players, you know, that just flood the leagues right now because of how talented and, and amazingly skilled they are. Babe Ruth never played against that level of competition. And that's why, to me, I can't put him as the best hitter of all time. I do agree with you, Sully. Steroids or not, there is nobody that has better hand-eye coordination and better hands than Sir Barry Bonds. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and I have the same exact argument. I mean, yes, Babe Ruth's numbers dwarf everyone. Did the guy have to face the same kind of pitching that Barry Bonds is facing? Like, did he have to face the same kind of athletes on a daily basis? And no, the answer is no. But I, and I get like competition similar and maybe Babe Ruth wasn't the same athlete, but I don't know. Like, I, I, I to whatever degree it may be i still respect the older generation don't get me wrong because rogers hornsby and and ty cobb and and all those guys are still in my best hitters list but it's taken with a grain of salt like i've got mike trout in there too i just i I think that these guys that are playing now you know are just better athletes and better baseball players that doesn't mean the past isn't great but in comparing barry bonds to watching babe ruth footage do you really think Babe Ruth's a better hitter? Like, you watch Barry Bonds swing the bat, and you don't think he'd fucking hit for 380 in 1906? Like, are you kidding me? Wayne, let me go ahead and uh, let me take that question and raise another question here. I think it's a better question. Who's your second and third best hitter of all time, Wayne? Well, so second, I'd have Barry Bonds. Well, yeah, I knew that. And number, th- number three is? 
Oh, number three, I'd really have to dig in. I mean, it could be Mantle. It could be, it's going to be somebody with power numbers because it's not going to be somebody like Tony Gwynn. I love Tony Gwynn. He's fantastic. Great contact hitter. He's in the Ty Cobb category. But when I think of best hitter, I think best all around, which includes the power numbers. So I would, it would probably be somebody like Mantle or Ted Williams or somebody like that that had 500, 600 home runs. I think I'd have Gehrig up there before Mantle, but... Um... Yeah, yeah, somebody like that. I've got Trout really high up there. I mean, OPS plus, just, I'm a big fan of. I love that stat. And the top five of those are Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Lou Gehrig, Mike Trout. And I don't hate that list. Granted, that wouldn't be my list, like, exactly. But, I mean, if you were going to name five guys who were the top five hitters, like, you wouldn't hate that list. You know what I mean? So, I guess that leads me to the point that... In our discussion, we were going back and forth, and I know that there was some loss in translation where I was replying to something that you said three messages earlier, so then it seemed like I was replying to something that you just said, and it got all mucked up and confused because I said I'm a very big averages guy, not so much a career totals guy, because you had thrown out two other names. You said, what about Kirby Puckett and Vladimir Guerrero? And I said, both those guys are better hitters than Ichiro because they both hit the ball more frequently than Ichiro with more power than Ichiro and get on base more than Ichiro. And as much as I love Ichiro, I fucking love Ichiro. You guys, I'm not trying to shit on him. I really love the guy but because they have better batting averages and they have better power numbers that makes them a better overall hitter to me than Ichiro is so are those two better than Ichiro all time I'd have to really look deeper into it I off the top of my head I would lean to know with Kirby I know Vlad's got the MVPs so like it's tough to argue there but, but Wayne, Wayne, you talked about a guy that, that swings at everything that's Vlad when you mentioned Ichiro swinging at everything that is Vlad Guerrero yeah, but Vlad still has a 380 on base percentage, to be fair. Vlad's a monster. Vlad was probably a bad one. I mean, I hate Kirby Bucket, so I, I mean, I'm never going to have him in one of my top hitters lists. But I mean, I, you know, he had, he literally had a thousand less hits. So at least he had 200 hits in multiple seasons. So, I mean, I would have loved to see Kirby Bucket stay healthy. If Kirby Bucket stays healthy, he's definitely a better hitter. Well, yeah, his career averages 318 to 311, so that means that he was going to get out less times than Ichiro would get out. Was he, though? I mean, if you look at Ichiro's numbers, like, legit look at him, he falls off a cliff at 37, 38 years old, and he still plays to 45. And so, I mean, like, Kirby stopped at 35. So if, if Ichiro stops there, so if you look from 2011 on, he never hit over 300 again. He hit 272, 280, uh, 262, 280, 220, 290, 250. Like those average, those things plummeted his average from 37 to 45 when nobody else is playing baseball. Let's be real. Like nobody else is, but he still was. So, I mean, at, at 36, if you end his career there, the last year he hit 315 with a 360 on base percentage and a 394 slugging. And, oh, and had 200 hits. I mean, he's a different ball player. You know, he looks much better. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of my argument. Well, no, you're saying that those last few years really dragged him down, and I'm agreeing with you because you're saying that at his best, or even up until he really started to age, the guy was a consistent 315 to 360 hitter. And in that case, yes, I would say that he's a better hitter than Kirby Puckett, who was consistent at 318 to 325 every year, but never had those 370, 360 years. But I would take, I'd still take Vlad over Ichiro just because of the 440 home runs. Like we have done over the last few weeks, we will be covering yet another division of the NFL. Today's division is the NFL West. We are joined by diehard 12th man of the Seattle Seahawks and host of On and Off the Field right here on the RTF Sports Network, Dylan Moran. What's going on, Dylan? Thanks for joining us. What's good, boys? Dylan, before we dive into the NFC West, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about On and Off the Field, what you guys typically talk about, and where they can find you. 
That's a lot of stuff, but I'll give it my best shot. On and off the field with Durf and Dylan. Durf is my co-host, which is just Fred backwards. His real name is Fred. We're just a simple NFL podcast. We try to talk about the other sports, but we normally fail at doing so. But mainly an NFL podcast. And then the off the field portion is whatever money we make generally goes towards charity, which right now our current charity is uh, the Boys and Girls Club of America. And you can find that fundraising effort on our website, on and off the field.com. And you can catch the show on the RTS Sports Network Tuesdays live from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Fridays, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m., you catch our recorded show. And then it's, you know, on YouTube and iTunes and all the other places you can find it. Yeah, Dylan, I had no idea, man. That's huge, man. I, I had no idea you guys did that on the show. I truly didn't. We do our best. And and that's absolutely incredible. You know, my hat goes off to you guys. That's a really kind of stand-up shit, man. That's incredible. Thank you so much. And, you know, you deserve a lot of props. Yeah, we can't wait until we start actually making a lot more money so we can put it towards it. But, you know, 25 bucks at a time is not bad. <laughs> you know, anything helps. It really does. I mean, the fact that you guys even do that and use your platform in that way is honestly a big thing. And I think it's, it kind of just shows the people you and Durf are, man. So that's, that's really cool. Thanks, man. How'd you land on the Seahawks? I landed on the Seahawks, oh boy, let's see here, 15 years ago after they went to the Super Bowl against the Steelers back in the day. The Seahawks got hosed in that Super Bowl. Oh, 100%. I was only, I think, oh boy, let's do some math, maybe 10, 11 years old. And it was like the real first time I understood a football game. And I just started rooting for a random team. I was I could have either been a Steelers fan or a Seahawks fan from that day on. But I picked the Seahawks. Why not? I picked them and I, they just, I've just stuck with them ever since. Well, Durf probably enjoyed our take last week. I know most of us are, are big, big fans of Josh Allen here on this show and really think the Bills are a really great team. So what's your take on the Bills? Uh, I, I mean, I like them. They have a great defense. Josh Allen's a good kid. I've always loved Cole Beasley, even when he was in Dallas. He's just a great route runner, pass catcher. He's just a guy you love in the slot. I love John Brown, and then adding Stefan Diggs is absolutely insane. And then even the backfield, they draft Zach Moss, and they have Devin Singletary. It's a great team. There's no reason why that team should be bad. It just all lies on the shoulders of how well Josh Allen's going to play. That, that's the end story. Now, real quickly, do you think they take the division this year? You think it's their year? I, I do. Unless there's some kind of weird, magical voodoo stuff that New England pulls, it really, the Bills should take it handedly by, by two or three games. Take that, New England Yeah, fans. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've heard, Dylan, but the Patriots magically signed Cam Newton. <laughs> what will be magic is if he actually touches the field and he's 100% healthy and he's the Cam Newton of like 2015 or whatever that year was. If I see that, then yes, 100% magic. But I'm going to just say it's a fluke for now. Well, we are talking about the NFC West. And because you're such a big Seahawks fan, what we usually do is we go team by team, what we think they're going to finish with for a record, if there's any particular game that stands out during the season. And then after we go through all the teams, we'll go with the most valuable player, least valuable player. So you're the Seahawks guy. I wanted you to kick it off and let us know what is the record going to be for the Seahawks this year? Probably 11-5 and five at the most. 10-6 and six would not surprise me since there's usually a stupid game in there that they lose, especially early in the season. Like right now, I would say they win week one against the Falcons, but they could easily drop that game and that could result in their 10-6 and six season. But I'm going to go 11-5. and five. It's unfortunate the virus is a thing because I really wanted to see them play in Buffalo on November 8th. That was something we were really looking forward to doing, but it's going to be a, it's a pretty tough year. You know, they have kind of a middle of the road schedule. They're just kind of getting better with the exception of the offensive line. I, I have a lot of high hopes 
for this team, unfortunately. <laughs> wow, Dylan, I can't believe we brought on the NFC West expert and the Seahawks expert, and you have them doing worse than I have them doing. I've got that team going 12-4. and four. I think they have a loss coming with the 49ers, a loss coming with the Cardinals, the Cowboys, and I honestly think they're going to lose to your buddy Durf's team, but 12-4 and four is where I have the Seahawks winning that division. You know, it's fair. I'm fine. I'm fine with 12 and 4. I'm not going to go 12 and 4 because I'm just, I'm negative on my own team. I think a lot of fans of their teams have negative outlooks on them to a certain degree. So I'll just stick with my 11 5. I could see 12 and 4, but I could also see 10 and 6. They're, as long as they have double digit wins, I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, I got them going 12 and 4 also. I mean, I think this is a really, really, really good ball club. I'm an enormous Russell Wilson fan. I think he's just the bee's knees. And I really do think San Francisco doesn't take a step back, but I just don't know if they're going to be on the same level as they were last year. So I just think Seattle's that deal. I'm a big Tyler Lockett fan. I just really like what they do down there, and uh, I think they're going to win that division at 12-4. and four. I have them at 12-4 and four as well. I have them losing Week 2 to the Patriots, of course. I have them losing to the Cowboys because I think that offensive firepower is just too much, and I have them splitting with the Cardinals and splitting with the 49ers. Those are the four losses, and I have them at 12-4. and four. Now, the NFC West, I think, is the powerhouse division in the NFL. I have three really good records coming out of that, and so I'll go. You guys mentioned the 49ers. I have them at 12-4 and four as well, so they're going to match with their four losses So I have the 49ers losing to the Packers, losing to the Saints, splitting with the Seahawks, and splitting with the Cardinals. You had them going what, Wayne? 11 and 5? 12 and 4 for the 49ers. So both teams going 12 and 4. Oh, 12 12 and 4, he said. I have San Francisco going 11 and 5. I got them losing another game in there. I'm not exactly sure where it's going to be. They may sneak one. They may lose one. I think the Rams are going to get one of them. You know, I also think it's odd you think Seattle's going to lose all these home games, but whatever, that's cool. But yeah, like I said, San Francisco's not necessarily taking a step back, but I do think they lose both to Seattle, and I do think they split with Arizona. And I think, you know, that's where obviously three of their losses come from outside of the division. I think they do well, but I just think they're going to take second in the division and obviously make a wild card spot. So it's not a total loss for them. Dylan, you think that Jimmy G and the 49ers are getting double-digit wins this year? Yeah, I think the 49ers really lost some very key pieces on both sides of the ball this offseason. They lost Emmanuel Sanders, their veteran wide receiver, which is virtually their only veteran wide receiver. And then they lost to Forrest Buckner on the line. And now, breaking news apparently is Raheem Moster is actually requesting a trade. And they already got rid of Matt Breida, I believe. So now they're if he actually does get traded, they're down to one running back from last year, which was their offensive strength was their running game. They are also down Debo Samuel as well. So, I mean, they are hurting in the wide receiver depth chart. I know they drafted a guy that Sully loves in Brandon Ayuk, but I just think that's a lot of pressure on him, a lot of pressure on Kittles, and a ton of pressure on Jimmy G and that noodle arm of his. I don't have the 49ers getting second in the division, to be honest with you. Second place in the division for me is the Arizona Cardinals. I've got them going 10 and 6. Wow. I mean, I have the Arizona going 10 and 6 also, and I thought I was the big Cardinals fan. I mean, I've, I've made it pretty clear I'm a, I'm a big fan of Arizona and what that franchise is doing. I'm a big, big, big fan of Kyler Murray. You know, I got into a discussion the other day about somebody about how I hate Lamar Jackson but love Kyler Murray, and I don't understand that discussion at all because Kyler Murray's arm is 10 times what Lamar Jackson's arm is. But I will agree that Kyler Murray can't run as much as he does, but it is a strength of his. I think he's more Russell Wilson than he is Michael Vick, whereas Lamar Jackson is more Michael Vick than he is Russell Wilson. But but yeah, I got Arizona going 10-6 and six also and getting the other wild card. And I think they're really, really, really good football team. 
Yeah, so San Fran ends up going 9-7 and seven in my proposal here. You know, the NFC West is a very tough division. I think that their offense is going to suffer too much with these losses. They are a very good team, but in this division, I don't see them getting double-digit wins, especially with the uprising I see with the Cardinals. That offense is just way too powerful. So Dylan, what do you have uh, for the Cardinals? You know, I have to do a lot of reevaluating of these because a lot has changed just in the past week, maybe two weeks for all of these teams, except the Rams there. They just suck in general. But 49ers and the Cardinals, it, things are just going up and down with the Cardinals getting Hopkins now. They're just trending up a lot. And I'm looking at their schedule. Unless something crazy happens, I don't see why they couldn't be in another 11 or 10 win team. 11 to 5, 10, 6 could definitely be within their wheelhouse with maybe splitting one with the 49ers. They do have to go up against the Bills and the Patriots, you know, that the AFC East there. It's not that tough a schedule, to be completely honest. I, this, this team could really surprise a lot of people. And that's what I was going to say to Dan and Jesse here is I'll see your 10 and 6 and raise you because I have them 11 and 5. And I think that they are going to finish third, but I still think they get a wild card at 11 and 5. So you have two teams going 12 and 4 and one team going 11 and 5 in the division. Correct. And yet they're all splitting with each other too. The Rams better be 1 and 15 in this division, Wayne, or we're going to have some Yeah, they're not good. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, shit. Well, how not good are they? I have the Rams going 4-12. and 12. I have them beating the Giants, because that's another terrible team. The Skins, another terrible team. The Jets. And I do have them taking one of the Cardinal games, so 4-12 and 12 for the Rams. Yeah, I can't argue with that, really. I got them going 6-10, and 10, so I don't, I don't think they're that much better of a football team. I mean, I think they beat the Bears at home, for sure. The Bears are atrocious. Maybe that's where we differ. I think maybe they can steal another game in there. But yeah, maybe 5-11, and 6-10. But I, I agree. I don't think they're a great team. I, I'm... I'm a Jared Goff fan, but I'm not the biggest Jared Goff fan. I want to see Sean McVay kind of continue on that momentum he had from the Super Bowl, and then he kind of went a little downhill last year. And then obviously, I mean, Aaron Donald's a monster, but the guy needs a little help around him on defense. I have the Rams actually going 6-10. and 10. You mentioned that being a possible record for them, Sully, and that's where I have them pegged. Just too many losses on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I think that losing Gurley, losing Brandon Cooks, uh, you know, he ended up going to the Texans. I think that's really going to end up hurting this team. They were a great team a couple years ago, but they haven't been good since before that Super Bowl. Yeah, this team got decimated in the offseason. I don't think the offseason was worse to any other team. Maybe exception to the Patriots. If they take first, then this is like 1A or 1B is the Rams. Everyone is gone. Literally, you look at this team and all they have is Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Okay, but they have Jared Goff, which sucks. And then on defense, you can have three guys block Aaron Donald and the other two guys can take everyone else on the line because you don't even know who they are. Six and 10, I'm fine with six and 10. But if the Seahawks, I have them splitting one with the Seahawks just based off of watching their history. No matter how bad the Rams are, they still split with the Seahawks. Seahawks, but if the Seahawks find a way to sweep them, then I'll, I'll take five and 11. You know, it's funny. You mentioned how you're negative on your team and most teams are negative on their team or most fans are negative on their teams. You're in the wrong place for that there, buddy boy. <laughs> we got <laughs> me as a Bucks fan. I think the sky's the fucking limit. And Wayne is the most delusional Patriots fan on the planet. Jesse's a pretty even keeled. I think, I think he's got a good reasonable head on his shoulders. And then, and then the other guest we had, Brandon Combs was the most far-fetched Bears fan on the planet. He thought they were going 11 and five. So, Oh no. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Someone's got to. Someone's got to tell him the bad news. His team's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tell him they didn't draft the only Mahomes. Timid fan right now, but 
I do think Seattle's just such a good team. I, I think you should be confident out the wins, man. They're a really good franchise. But I completely understand it. Nobody wants to get in there and get too pumped up about their team yet. Defense has, has been an issue. You know, the Legion of Boom has obviously been gone, and they really haven't gotten back. I have a little bit more confidence this season, especially if Quentin Dunbar isn't actually arrested. We have Quandre Diggs for a full season. And then on the offensive side, everything looks like it should be fine, but every year it's it's just the offensive line. You just look at the offensive line and go, oh, crap. Like I saw a picture of someone put the Seattle offensive line together in um, like the Madden build your team, and they had their, their Madden ratings and... The only one above 80 was Dwayne Brown, who's like 50 years old. And the rest of them were all, I think the rest of them were, were below 70. So it makes your feeling, it, it hurts. It hurts your feelings, and I'm scared for Russell Wilson's life. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, in Madden, they had Kurt Warner rated at a 64 the year he won MVP. But we're talking about BJ Finley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. <laughs> so who would be your MVP of this division then, Dylan? I always firmly believe in that MVP for the NFL should always be the best player, not just the best guy on the best team. So with that in mind, I will just hand it over to Aaron Donald, who should probably win everything. He should get every trophy, no matter what. Even Offensive Player of the Year, just give it to Aaron Donald. <laughs> he's he's the best player in the NFL by far. I love far. that take, Dylan. So just, I'll just give it to him. He'll have, he'll have 25 sacks. He'll be fine. Nobody can can or should argue with that. You know, Aaron Donald is a beast. He should be ranked as the best player in the entire league, not alone the NFC West here. So that's a great call. I actually gave it to a guy on your team. Russell Wilson is my division MVP. I think that he leads this team to the division win, and I think that he puts up a top three MVP year. Give that man some votes. I agree, but there's no way a team that was picking in the top 10 of the draft that then comes out and wins 10 games or 11 games and makes the playoffs can't have the MVP for me. So Kyler Murray's going to be the MVP of this division for me. We did our NFL breakdown and Kyler Murray was my dark horse for MVP of the NFL. I think the guy's going to put up stupid video game numbers in this offense. I really do love the kid. I think he's a winner. I think he's a ball player, plain and simple. I think he can play football. So while I do agree Russell Wilson, you know, is probably also deserving the guy who led his his team to plus eight wins or plus nine wins from what they had last year is probably what I'm going to go. Yeah, and I think that with my MVP, again, I knew Russell Wilson was going to be a popular choice. I think Kyler Murray is great. He probably would have my second choice. I think we all know that aside from Jarrett Stidham, he's probably, actually, he's I like him more than Stidham, so he might be my favorite quarterback in the league. But I went a little bit differently because the 49ers, I have them 12-4. and four. They could win the division. They could be the wild card from the division. Either way, I've got Nick Bosa as the MVP. I think he gets 15 and a half sacks and four defensive touchdowns this year. Four defensive touchdowns? Jesus Christ. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One defensive <laughs> touchdown, four interceptions. Oh. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> hey, that could be four pick sixes. You never know. Still, that's, that would be impressive <laughs> as shit. Uh, uh, you know, I don't hate it. You know, obviously for a defensive player to win, it, it takes an incredible season like that. But, you know, if, if two guys can do it, it's Nick Bosa and it's Darren Donald, to be fair. I mean, let's be real. Those two guys are freaks of fucking nature. So, Dylan, who would be your least MVP? Man, I, I hate to keep picking on the Rams. Pick on them. Yeah, I feel like it has to be Jared Goff. Ever since, even the Super Bowl season, he had a couple of good games here and there where he's lighting up some bad defenses. And ever ever since the Super Bowl, I don't know if it's the offense. I don't know if it's just people figured out what they were doing or if Jared Goff just really, really regressed. 
whatever the case may be, he looks like he doesn't belong in a starting role right now. And there's no reason why that shouldn't continue, especially with uh, Brandon Cooks being gone. And Todd Gurley being gone. I absolutely agree, Dylan. He's my least valuable player for the division. This guy hasn't been good in years. That shine has definitely worn off on the offense. I'm starting to question McVay and and how smart he is. You know, he's got a great memory, but let's see you put it together on the field in a continuous basis. So he's my least valuable player for the NFC West. Uh, Sully, who you got? You know, I did it before, and I'm going to do it again. My LVP is going to be the least valuable person, and it's Sean McVay, because I think he's more to blame for Jared Goff's regression than anybody else. I mean, I think from the looks of last year, teams have kind of figured him out. And if he doesn't come out this year and do something different, then I think people are going to really start to question whether or not he's for real. Obviously, going 5-11 and 11 or 6-10, and 10, or if Wayne's got him going 4-12, and 12, you know, he didn't figure it out. And I think his, his seat starts to get really, really, really hot there in Los Angeles. So I, I got Sean McVay, actually. I have a similar route of least valuable person or persons. And again, with the Rams, if they're four and 12, it's got to come from that team. I don't have it as Jared Goff because I do like Jared Goff. I think he has every single tool that you want in a quarterback. So his lack of success, I don't feel is his fault necessarily. And so for this four and 12 team, I'm actually giving the least valuable persons, the Rams backfield of Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown. I give the over under on them 950 yards and I take the under combined combined. They are going to get pummeled. Oof. It's not going to be a good year. It's going to be a bad year. Yeah, see, I mean, if you're going to put it on a unit, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to put it on a running back unit of all the units. I mean, I think their offensive line is... You talk about bad offensive lines in Seattle, Dylan. I mean, Los Angeles line is atrocious. That thing is bad. And so, I mean, I think that's where, like, the a lot of the fault will lie with that team. So, I, to put it on the run game, I think is a little... I'm not going to lie, man. I think it's a little soft. They've got, like, the least effect on a game to me. So we got the whole division broken down. We've got a bunch of different takes here. We got MVPs, LVPs. I like that they were all different and they weren't uniform. I did want to thank Dylan for joining us for this segment. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on and playing with us. I know we're not always the easiest, but I think we were pretty easy today. Hey, I I had fun. I love I love it. Yeah, go Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we appreciate you being on, man. And, and again, big, big, big props to what you do off the field, man. That's that's huge, man. Yeah, and one more time, I guess, before we let you go, I mean, uh, again, where we're, can everybody listen to you? Because I know after listening to this, all of our fans are going to want to go and hear more of your takes. So where can they find you if they're looking for you? Well, if you want to listen to us, I appreciate it. You can get all of the links to everywhere on the show, including YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. You don't have to go searching for it. Although it is easy, all I got to do is type in on and off the field. We're the only on and off the field podcast out there. And all the links are at on and off the field.com. Makes it super easy. RTF Sports Network, it plays on their live show, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on Fridays from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tomorrow, Abbott. Tomorrow. Welcome, Abbott. Tomorrow. Hello, Abbott. Tomorrow. Hey, Abbott. It's time for everybody's favorite segment, including ours, the Infinity Five. Now, this time we're talking about our five least favorite athletes. Let me rephrase that. Our five most hated athletes. So since this was Jesse's idea, Jesse, why don't you kick it off with number five? Who is your fifth most hated athlete of all time? All right, so my fifth most hated athlete of all time, and it just got rejuvenated watching The Last Dance, is Isaiah Thomas. This guy plays for my favorite NBA team of all time, but fuck this guy. 
What he did to Michael Jordan led him to not being on the Dream Team. He ruined pretty much the second portion of his career there, and he acted like a real baby. You know, I know Sully hated the, his tactics when he played for the Pistons, hated how defensive and how bully ball they played. So that's a reason why I don't really enjoy Isaiah Thomas. There's a multitude of reasons, but he's my number five most hated athlete of all time. I mean, I agree with you, if I'm being honest. I, w- I probably would have had him on my list, but I fully expected you to have him, and I tried to kind of steer clear from that with this one. But y- yeah, I probably agree. I'm, I'm not a big fan. But my number five is going to be one most people probably don't know of. His name's John Terry. He plays for Chelsea, or used to play for Chelsea, and he's just a fucking scumbag. I don't like him. I'm a big Manchester United fan, and we used to get into, like, you know, Chelsea Man U was, like, big, especially back in 04, 03, 05, when I was really heavy into it. And, you know, John Terry was obviously a star and I just hate his fucking guts and he's a terrible person too so it's it's great that I can hate him now my number five is actually a guy who used to be one of my favorite athletes and slowly became one of my most hated athletes to where he is now my number five and I'm sure we'll hear the name again is LeBron James LeBron James I love this guy coming out of high school I was a huge LeBron fan I had LeBron Mount St. Vincent St. Mary high school jersey I had the high school photos I had posters in the Cavaliers I had the Cavaliers jersey I loved LeBron James. And then the decision happened. And that didn't do it. It wasn't one of those things overnight like everybody else. It was just kind of like, ugh, I didn't like that. And then he started just bullshit, just started coming out of his mouth when he would tweet zero dark 30 when it was time for the playoffs or playoff mode activated. I'm like, shut up. Would you please shut the fuck up? Because you know what? He seems like a really good guy. He builds schools. He does a lot in the community. He's actually a really, really, really good human being. But I fucking hate him. So he's number five. Uh, I can feel your genuine hatred for him, and the fact that he's only number five makes me pretty nervous to hear the rest of your list, if I'm if I'm not going to lie, man. You know, we talked a little bit off air. I'm not a big LeBron fan. I wasn't a big LeBron fan either, more so because I hate the argument that LeBron was better than Kobe. I wasn't a big fan of that argument because I'm a giant Kobe fan. But now he plays for the Lakers, so I love LeBron. Uh, who's your number four, Jesse? My number four, and Wayne, you're definitely going to know this guy, is Gerald Henderson. He played for that fucking Duke team that broke Tyler Hansbrough's nose. Tyler Hansbrough is my favorite Carolina Tar Heel player of all time. He is Psycho T, and Gerald Henderson broke his nose in the middle of a game, and it's just one of the most iconic moments for me. I wanted to fight Gerald at that moment, and I hate him for that. I hate Duke, but he's the player I hate most. I mean, I, I tried to think of other players on Duke that I hated, but he's the one that I hate most. Wow, more than Leitner, huh? Absolutely. I mean, I I wasn't really around for Leitner. So, I mean, I can't really say that I hate him for stuff that I wasn't around for. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of, you know, like, you know, it was John Shire, J.J. Redick. Who's the one that's tripping people uh, these days? Um, Oh, Grayson Allen. Yeah. He's a douche as well. So, I mean, I could have made a starting five of Duke players. But, you know, the one that tops off all the lists is Gerald Henderson. Yeah. I mean, you could just list off any Duke player and he's probably a scumbag. So, I mean, I agree. Wayne, what's your favorite college basketball team again? Oh mine, oh mine's Duke, of course. Yeah. Oh, shocker. I don't take it, I don't take it personally. I mean everybody <laughs> hates the chance. Everybody hates the best team. Um uh, my number four is the scumbag face licker himself, Brad Marchand. Man, I fucking hate this guy. I, I, he's just such a pest. It's it's partially too because I think I respect his game. I think he's a pretty good hockey player, and I hate Boston in general. Foreshadow. So I'm not a big fan. And Brad Marchand just tops the list. The face licking and just the weird. Oh, in a sport where you can beat the shit out of a guy. God, I wish I could play hockey and beat the fuck out of him. 
As a Bruins fan, I don't like some of the punk things that Brad does, but he's certainly a nifty goal scorer, so not going to be on my list. You won't find a New England athlete on my list. I'm going to piggyback off of Dan there. This one's a little bit of a cheat. It's kind of a group of people more so than a person. I went with goons in hockey. I fucking hate goons. I hate fighting if it's not necessary. Just like go, send a guy out there just to fight. He has no skills. He can't handle the puck. He can't put it in the net, but he can throw fists. Get him the fuck out of the league. I love Olympic rules where there is no fighting. and It's all skill, skill, nothing but skill and more skill. I don't want to see all the bullshit goons. Get goons out of hockey. I fucking hate them. You got beat up a lot as a kid didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it's because I ran my mouth. I kind of deserved it. Uh, no, I, I, and to be fair, I honestly think goons are dying. Like, yeah, they're still fighting, but I mean, we, we have like less and less goons. I mean, roster spots are more and more imperative nowadays. And, you know, I don't disagree with you, but I mean, I love fighting in the sport. I think it has its, its purpose, to be honest with you. You know, you still need to protect your stars in a league where you can check and hit and hurt people. You still got to have somebody to protect your stars. I really think you do. So I I don't know. I I may disagree with that one. All right. So number three on my list is a guy that many revere is a top quarterback of all time. But I hate the stupid forehead. And it is Peyton Manning. You know, a guy that... A guy that rivaled Tom Brady's career, you know, they always tried to compare the two, and I never even saw the comparison because he was gifted Marvin Harrison and, and Reggie Wayne. Well, you know, Tom Brady's over here with Jabbar Gaffney and other random players, Troy Brown, who is an amazing all-around player, but certainly not the, the likes of those two Hall of Fame-type receivers that Peyton had. And then he goes and wins a second title on the back of that amazing defense in Denver. So I just, I hate that he's always been compared to Tom um, I don't like Peyton at all. Him and his giant ass forehead can stay away from the league and away from my TV. I love Peyton Manning. I mean, I just love his personality. I, I think he's hilarious. Peyton's place, the show on ESPN, I think is great. If you have ESPN Plus, watch it. I think a lot of them are fantastic. I think some of his commercials are stupid, but I mean, I love him as a personality. I don't get how you can dislike him. He's such a gl- 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 like just a, such a happy guy. I don't know. I get it. Because, I mean, I understand being compared to Tom Brady, I guess, where the hatred comes from, but he shouldn't be compared to Tom, so you shouldn't. Well, I was just going to say, too, that I'm betting that Jesse is a lousy poker player because rule number one of poker is check emotion at the door. And I don't know a more emotional person. It's like, oh, they're comparing him to Tom Brady. I fucking hate him. Well, it, it, it's the connection with Tom Brady, but it's also, I feel like this guy was handed the league as soon as he came in, you know, you know, he and his family kind of dictate what happens with their team choice, their draft choice. And I just hate that type of bull crap, you know, whereas Tom drafted in the end and kind of really worked himself up to being someone who has more rings than he has, you know, fingers on one hand. So I hate everything that Peyton Manning stood for with the horseshoe in his helmet and then a horse in his helmet. I think I, I must also hate horses as well i don't want to beat a dead horse though guys (laughs) so my third is going to be i guess a group two and it's those cheating scummy fucking astros i hate them especially altuve and bregman especially i hate them they just suck as people and they cheated and won a title because of it so i'm not a fan i don't hate the astros oh shocker (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, we are definitely getting to the top three, which means we are into the bags of shit section of my list. And my number three is Albert Hainsworth, because what a horrible piece of shit human being this guy is with everything he did off the field. But the thing that really turned me on him, the thing that really made me want to this guy to just get hit by a car was that game against Dallas where or maybe he was playing for Dallas and it was no, he was on Tennessee. Tennessee. They're playing Dallas. And the guy's helmet comes off and he stomps on his head without a helmet. Andre I was Giroux. like, what the hell's yeah, what the hell's the matter with this guy? Like just yeah, as much as people say Indomitian Sue's a dirty player, nothing like this. There was nothing like this. I get I hate Albert Hainsworth because of this. Sue and Hainsworth both almost made my top five. I mean, that play by Hainsworth that you mentioned, you know, Andre Giroud was the player's name, and, and that nobody will ever forget that if they saw it happen. I mean, it was just, I mean, that's legit assault. You're 350 pounds, you're stomping down on a man's skull with metal cleats on. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't know. Like, I don't know what can go through your head to where, like, and I've been violent. Like, I've gotten in fights. Never have I been like, I'm going to stomp on this fucking guy's head on national television. What are you doing, you psychopath? Like, that guy's a scumbag. So we are on to my number two, and uh, I'm not going to check emotion here either. Floyd Mayweather Jr. is my second most hated athlete of all time. I understand the titles and belts that this guy's won, but I don't like his style in ring, and I certainly don't like his style out of ring. I don't think he's a good person. I think he's a shitbag. But in-ring, I just don't respect a guy that I guess some people could describe as, you know, outlasting, you know, outdancing the opponent. But I just don't like that style. Um, it's not for me. I would personally have Mike Tyson up higher in a ranking all time than Floyd Mayweather Jr. So, yeah, number two for me is Jr. No, I completely understand that. I mean, not very many people do like him. I don't know if I'd like the guy either. I mean, he talks a lot of shit, supposedly beats his girlfriend and things like that. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if I really like the guy either. I mean, I just respect his game and just really, I enjoy watching him fight and his defense and the way he slips punches is just, I mean, it's, it's something we've never seen before. I think it's brilliant. My second is, you know, it, it, it's it's Ty Cobb, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in an, an honorable mention because you know Deshaun Jackson has now made my list because of you know his recent comments and things he said. But you know Ty Cobb is one of the all-time biggest scumbags ever in the history of sports. Uh, he's a known racist, you know, was a known kind of just dirty person and a selfish and bad guy. And I don't think anybody would disagree how terrible he is. So he's probably number two. And then, like I said, I'm going to add Deshaun Jackson into my list, too, because uh, I don't like him. Yeah, I think Ty Cobb is definitely one of the most notorious racists of all sports history. And he definitely was a piece of shit. Not only off the field, but on the um, field, they yeah. talked about him like sharpening his spikes before the games so he could go high on people. Yeah. Just, just a bag of crap. Now, my number two, I'm really Jesse. My number two is Floyd Mayweather as well. Not because of what he does in the ring. I don't care that he dances around. I think he is the greatest defensive fighter of all time. So I'm not going to bag him for what he does in the ring. As a professional athlete, inside the ring only, I don't really have a problem with him. But outside the ring, it's not just the bravado. Because there's something about being arrogant and being likable. I consider myself one of those people who's arrogant and likable. But when you're arrogant and not likable, like when you beat up your girlfriend in front of your kids, when you get a bunch of money in a payday and you say, yeah, the first thing I'm going to do is bail out Suge Knight who murdered somebody. You're just a piece of shit and he can't read, which is probably why he's so stupid. <laughs> so he's a stupid, illiterate piece of shit who thinks he's the God's greatest gift. I just fucking hate it. I love that. It's like my emotion poured into Wayne there, folks. Bottle that up. We're going to come full circle here with our Infinity Five for me. Wayne started off with this guy and I'm going to end with him. 
LeBron James is my most hated athlete of all time. And it's not a recent thing. It's not since the decision. I understand the great things this guy does off the court, but he's such an asshole. And I've hated him since the day he came into the NBA. Chosen one. The next Michael Jordan. Not that he was the first guy that had that nickname, that moniker, but he loved it. He wore it like a crown. He is King James. I hate this dude. I hate the ring chasing. He didn't create the big three, but I did think he expedited and highlighted the team building and the way that the NBA players had more ownership of what they do and how they build their future. So I blame him for kind of just changing the way the league is played now and built, but I hate the dude for his chase of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. I mean, he is. I don't know if he'll end that way, though. Uh, and I, Sully, fight me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I understand the hate for LeBron. I really do. But I don't know. I think it's tough to just kind of not respect and to and just watch in awe of what he's doing. You know, I don't I don't really care if you go to a team to win a championship. That doesn't bother me. So I don't I don't mind that whole aspect of it. I get why it would bother you, though. So, I mean, I understand your argument. You guys aren't going to like this, but my number one most hated athletic thing of all time is a tie between Philadelphia fans and Boston fans. You guys fucking suck. All of you. That's true. All of you that is suck. True. I swear to God, you're the worst people on the planet. You are the biggest homers. You don't listen to any kind of anything. You, you're just so myopic on your views, and I hate every single one of you. But you two are great. I will say that you two are fantastic, but yeah, in general, you know, I uh, I'm a big Rays fan, obviously, and that Phillies series was a rough one, and so I don't enjoy Phillies fans, and you know, the Clearwater Phillies are down here, and I just do not enjoy it at all. They're they're a big knock in my saddle, and then obviously Philadelphia Eagles fans are just the worst. I mean, let's be real, they're the worst people on the planet. So, and then Boston, you got New England, you got the Bruins, and I mean, you got the Red Sox. Who, who can't you can't you hate? So, I mean, it's just it, they're the worst people ever. I completely agree with you on the Red Sox fan, on Boston fans in general. I'll be honest with you guys, I wasn't always a Patriots fan growing up, even though I grew up in the area. It kind of like grew on me, but I used to, I fought it. I fought it with every ounce of my being because I hated fucking Boston fans. I'm a Lakers fan, so I hate Celtics anyways. But just as a football fan, I was like, I will never like the Patriots. Their fans walk around. If they see you wearing a shirt that says like Steelers or fucking Cowboys, doesn't matter what it is. They see you wearing another team's shirt. Somebody who doesn't even know you will just walk up to you and be like, six rings, bitch, yeah, and walk exactly. away. You know? <laughs> like, dude, what is up with being a douchebag? You know? So I hate Boston fans, but I just kind of started to love the Patriots, and I grew to like them. And I remember the, the day that the transformation was complete. I put on a Malcolm Butler jersey because I bought one for myself, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, oh, that's it. I'm a bad guy now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a villain now. This is my life. But my number one is, again, sticking with the bags of shit, pieces of shit. One of the things I really stand on, I, I hate it, and I've talked about it, maybe not in the show, but off the air, I hate pedophiles and child abusers. People who pick on kids, I hate you and you should die. Literally die. I actually root for human beings to be murdered or to die if they mistreat children. And Adrian Peterson, his kid pushes another kid, one of his other, one of his 19 or 27 kids, I can't remember what it is, but he's got a bunch of kids. 
and he's got this mansion where he has what he calls a whooping room. So right off the bat, he's mentally deranged. He has a whooping room. His kid pushes one of the other kids. He brings the kid into the whooping room, shoves leaves in his mouth, and whips him with a switch until his legs are completely bloody. And then, isn't like he made a mistake and was like, oh shit, that's just how I was raised. I didn't know any better. And then stops. Like, a year later, he's like, yeah, I still hit my kids with a belt. That's how you should discipline your kids. Fuck this guy. Please let me wake up tomorrow morning and find out he's dead. Please let me find out Adrian Peterson's dead tomorrow morning. Um, I don't disagree with anything there at this point. I think we can agree that Adrian Peterson got off extremely lightly with his punishment from the NFL, I think. Uh, I, I do think, you know, just because some people feel like it's overstepping to step into somebody else's home, but I think the severity in which he beat his child is just insane and shouldn't be allowed. I can only imagine, like you said, he self-admittedly has a whooping. That in itself is sociopath and deranged. Like, what are you fucking, you have a whooping room? What are you talking about? So, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I agree, he he should be on everybody's scumbag list, but I knew how, how you felt about him, so I, I wanted to give you the platform. Yeah, as a father, there's no way that I can feel good about Adrian Peterson. Uh, I liked watching him at Oklahoma and his early years with Minnesota, but uh, again, as a father, you can't feel good about a guy that will hit a child, and he could certainly uh, not play another down, um, nor see another dollar, in my opinion. Well, I hate to end on a downer note, but that is the end of the show, <laughs> and... I do want to thank everybody for listening. I thank you for tuning in on RTF Sports Network twice a week to listen to the show twice, and even more than that, to download or listen, stream on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher, because you can't get enough of the show. You probably listen to it five days a week. Certainly appreciate you guys, and we really appreciate Dylan coming on and talking NFC West with us. Yeah, it was a great show. I had a great time. You know, we really appreciate Dylan from on and off to come on and and break down the NFC West with us. You know, I, he's a big Seattle Seahawks fan, so that was a that was a good spot. Appreciate all you guys for listening. You know, rtfnetwork.com. Get on there. Check out the blogs. Check out the podcast. Uh, Stitcher, iTunes. Please get on iTunes and listen. Please get on there and rate and review. We really, really, really need those. That, that's that's really appreciated. Any interaction, get on there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You got the handles. Get at it. Let's go, people. Absolutely. Like Sully said, you need to get on Facebook, you need to get on Instagram, and you need to get on Twitter, especially with our Infinity Fives. These are the most controversial athletes. These are the most, it's the best segment we have, guys. So get involved. Let us know who your top five hated athletes of all time are so that we can argue with you guys, so that we can get in on the commentary. We love to involve you guys with it. So please get involved. Hey, Kenny, how many wins the Patriots getting? 12, 13? It's-